What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. And you know, Julie, in uh, in science fiction, uh, we, we keep coming back to this idea of like humans going out into the into the void and encountering another another intelligent species. Yes. And then figuring out what's gonna go down. And it's just, you know, it's just throughout, uh, the, the genre. But, uh. It's a trope. It's, it's definitely a trope. It's all, it's, it's tropey even. Um, but, uh, but, but the really fascinating thing to me is to, is to look backwards in time and, uh, and think about humans and, uh, and, and their interactions with other, uh, human-like, uh, beings. Right. Such as, most famously, the Neanderthal. Neanderthal. Yeah, the Neanderthal, which is uh, typically spelled—I mean, it's spelled like it's Neanderthal—and I've, uh, I've, I've been saying it wrong for ages. But, uh, but of course, it, as you pointed out, it comes from the German, so it's Neanderthal. Yes. So, uh, which is fun to say it that way. It's, too. it's, yeah, it, it rolls off the tongue a lot easier if you just go ahead and, and use the, the the fake German uh, accent that we all have uh, yeah. have gotten off of the television. And just say Neanderthal, but we can't do the entire <laughs> podcast in that voice. Oh my God, you sound <laughs> eerily like Arnold Schwarzenegger right now. Ah, uh, see, I think I was listening to a mix recently that had a bunch of Arnold like fitness samples, in oh, it, so that was probably yeah. what did it. Yep. But anyway, Neanderthal. Uh, hopefully, that pronunciation won't annoy you too much uh, in this podcast. Likewise, we are going to steer largely clear of another problem that you encounter when you start reading about 
Neanderthal, Neanderthals or any, uh, any, any topics concerning the, the ascension of man and mm-hmm. human evolution. And that is that you almost all, always get bogged down in discussion of dig sites and all these Latin names for the different fossils. And it's, and it's all very important to right. a larger understanding, but we're going to try and steer clear of a lot of that. Um, yeah, because it's like the book of Genesis. Yeah, when yeah, it comes to that, it is. It begins like, and then Homo epicatus uh, emerged <laughs> from Homo elliptus, and we don't know where Homo caffecatus fits in. You know, it just gets, it gets a little dry. Um, yeah, uh, you know, even even for me, and I've I've written some articles about this before, and it just you know it kind of stuns your brain after a while. But the, the, so for our purposes, we're yes, gonna focus yeah, yeah, we're on... gonna we're gonna sort of blow through some of that. Yeah, um, yeah. But but there are lots of great resources out there. Um, that, that'll, that'll hit you with the Latin names if you like. But to, uh, to really put us in more of a time and place, um, let, let's talk about what the Neanderthals were. Yeah. All right. Um, they first. Hominids. Uh, they were, they're hominids. They're, they would have looked very much like people, um, like modern humans even. Like right. if you get in your mind this sort of idea of a, like a, a troll-like, um, uh, Ron Perlman-esque hulking thing, uh, um, <laughs> Or Tom Waits, you can put that in as well. Okay. Um, you know, it's like, that's not necessarily a, a good model to have. And it's a really hard one to kick. Like when I think Neanderthal, it's, it's really hard to kick that idea of this hulking brute that's stomping through the underbrush. Right. Rabbit. It's that cartoon caveman with a club thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and it, it's hard to get past that, that, but, uh, it would, these guys would have looked more or less like modern humans, only shorter, uh, heavier built, mm-hmm. um, stronger, particularly in the arms and hands. Mm-hmm. So they were they were kind of thick uh and and you know muscly dudes. Yeah, actually I read somewhere too that their rib cages were really large and they didn't have much of a waist. Yeah. Which was sort of like the, it gives you this idea of these barrel-chested really compact muscular beings. Yeah. And uh you know kind of like I guess kind of like a stumpy wrestler physique to a certain extent. Um they uh the, the skull evidence we have show that they they didn't have much of a chin. Uh, and their forehead, foreheads were kind of sloped backwards. Yeah. Uh, their brain case was lower, but, uh, longer. And it housed a slightly larger brain than, uh, what we're carrying around today. Right. Which was really great for them, helped them survive for a very long time, but also, as we'll get into later, may have contributed a bit to their downfall as well. Yeah. So these guys, uh, first showed up in Europe, uh, as early as 600,000, um, or 350,000 years ago. We're a little, you know, it, again, anytime you deal with the fossil record, yeah. you're dealing with bits and pieces of a jigsaw puzzle, and many of the pieces we'll just never have. So it's it's always a little touch and go, and it's it's and and if you don't understand that, it can be a little frustrating. Where you're like, how come we not know? You're like, how come we just dig up some more bones? Well, not all bones survive. Not all bones become fossils. Yeah, it's yeah. a game of chance, right? Like he, yeah. even the um, Neanderthal man who was discovered, it was sort of by chance because the guy who who saw it was about to pitch it. And then he thought, well, maybe that's a bear skull. And he was collecting um, animal skulls and ended up keeping it. And then they found out later that, oh, no, this is not a bear skull. So again, I mean, w- our knowledge would have been so incomplete yeah. if he hadn't had that chance encounter. Yeah. So these guys uh, pretty much ruled uh, Eurasia for 200,000 years, uh, roaming around, uh, doing their thing. And, uh, even at the height of uh, their occupation of, uh, say, Western Europe, uh, scientists think that they probably never really exceeded, uh, say, fifteen thousand total. So, okay. e- so you know, we're not dealing with modern population levels of human. Like today, humans are really off the chart. You know, I mean, we're a, an 
exceedingly successful species, or we're, I mean, you could argue we're an invasive species pretty much right. everywhere. Uh, but, but this was a time when populations could not really reach the unsustainable le- uh, levels that we've uh, managed to achieve today. Right. And from fossil records, what we do know is that the, the time that, um, Neanderthals went extinct. Humans were really, Homo sapiens were really starting to make great gains. So, right. of course, that's where we, that idea developed where uh, we just vanquished yeah. the Neanderthals and ate them and mated with them and left them in the dirt. And that's not really true. Yeah, it's kind of like to, uh, this will probably be the only time I use a, a Will Smith quote, but, um, wow. <laughs> but, uh, there's this idea that the Neanderthals were old and busted and the humans were the new hotness. And that we just eradicated right. the old and busted Neanderthals. So it's just they were just a, a you know th- this was the old model. The new model so much better. So of course the old model is going to die out. Right, right. But th- the more you really look at it, the more it, it becomes a situation where you have two really good models. I mean mm-hmm. it's it's kind of like the idea that um, I think it was a, actually Ricky Gervais who pointed out that like the the, the garden slug. May look disgusting, we may hate it, but the garden slug is perfect. Like nature has filled that yeah. that niche with something that really works well. So, like nature does, by and large, doesn't create. Uh, you know, evolution does not lead to ineffective designs. It's like this is the pinnacle. This is a a great design. So, the, the more you look at it, you have a situation where the Neanderthal is a is a killer design, mm-hmm. but circumstances uh, ended up uh, having this other design, this human design, be the one. It's going to take uh, take the lead. It's right, going to become right. the dominant uh, force. And a lot of that had to do with climate, right? Like right. the time that they were uh, flourishing, Neanderthals, they they had adapted to their environment really well. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm jumping ahead here. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, and two other key things to mention is that the, another there's a really old, outdated idea that's still probably kicking around in a lot of people's uh, heads, and that is that we evolved from Neanderthal, and that's no, that's completely not true. Um, rather, we share a common relative, um, a, um, a, a, a common ancestor. Mm-hmm. So if you were to follow the chart back, you'd say, Hey, here's this particular species. Right. Um, and, and it, it, at this point it diverged and there's a, and it's, its ancestors became Neanderthals and became humans. Right. So In, there's Homo erectus, right. And then right. there's the branch of Homo Heidelberg genus. Is that, am I saying that right? Uh-huh. Which I just picture a, a, uh, a caveman in uh, in Lederhosen. I know, I know. Yeah. that's what I, Heidelberg, uh, and then of course that evolved that that species evolved into uh, Neanderthals. Right. Yeah. It's it's like the same thing that we like we share a common ancestors with a champ- chimpanzee. Right. But we did not evolve from a chimpanzee. So if you had any of that kicking around your head, uh, get rid of that. Yeah. Like ninety nine point nine percent of our genetic material is shared with Neanderthals. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and another uh, interesting uh, fact to keep in mind is that. Uh, is that again? We we coexisted with Neanderthals for um, for for for, for a, a, a brief period of time, right? Uh, as far as uh, as evolutionary history goes, but uh, but but we did coexist, right? They became extinct about thirty thousand years ago. Yeah, and they may have uh, survived in in some very remote areas mm-hmm. for perhaps up to twenty four thousand years ago, and that's uh, specifically um, Gibraltar, uh, yeah. you know, in the Strait of Gibraltar. Um, uh, there's a site there called Gorman's Cave that uh, people have studied a lot. So this is an isolated uh, area that, that, you know, it's just an island. They end up there and they end up holding out there for a while. But eventually yeah. uh, they're out and we're in. But what I find really interesting is that uh, Neanderthals got a bad rap because they weren't these great bedazzlers. Oh, yeah, because right. they're like, well, where are their cave drawings? Yeah. Where are their, where are their beads yeah. and their, where's their jewelry? 
So at that time, that was the litmus test of whether or not you were um, sophisticated enough to be thought of as as cool as Homo sapiens, right? Right. And so that really did contribute to this idea of uh, them as knuckle draggers, actually, mm-hmm. which is unfortunate because they are so much more nuanced than um, than that. And in fact, um, it reminds me of Kazu Ishiguro's "Never Let Me Go," the novel uh, with the the oh, clone yeah, yeah. children. Yes, uh, this is the my, my wife read this for book club, and it's basically the same plot as the old uh, sci-fi film "Parts the Clonosar," which they uh, did for MST3K. And also, uh, there was some, um, what was that? Uh, the island. Yeah. Basically, you know, the idea of like, oh, let's, let's cl- have clones of ourselves so we can have spare parts. Yeah, right. So we yeah. can just pick up this organ from this person. But, uh, one of the, the central, um, topics in the book is that the children must produce artwork to prove their own humanity. Hmm. And so I was thinking about that. I was thinking, well, that's a, the same case with Neanderthals is that we thought, well, we don't see any cave paintings. Therefore, they must have been brutes. They must have been without, Sympathy or, you know, these these higher ideas of our emotions and our humanity. But we'll find this out later. It's that's not the case at all. Yeah. Well, also, it's it's important to, to note that some of the early cave drawings that you encounter, like pictures of are pictures of animals, uh, you know, pictures of prey. Yeah. And uh, and they think that a lot of that is probably used to 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 teach. This presentation is brought to you by Intel, sponsors of tomorrow. So it's not like they were like, they were like, oh, I have free time. I must uh, create some art. Let me draw an antelope. Isn't it beautiful? No, it was probably more like, like I'm tr- really trying to drive home to you how to hunt an right, ant- antelope, right. kid. Let me draw one on the wall. Yeah, this isn't cubism here. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so I, I think we can sort of get a little, uh, you know, a, a little lofty about our ideas concerning uh, um, early primitive artwork. Yeah, and um, you've touched on this too as well. Is it the superiority myth? This mm-hmm. idea that Homo sapiens are really the only cool kids in town because they mastered fire, um, yeah. they can speak, agriculture, they can use tools, agriculture, so on and so forth. Yeah, and it, it really kind of flows into sort of a manifest destiny. That, you know, this idea that yeah. we're, we're special, we've got to be special. Uh, you know, we're we're here. We're the, we must be the superior design. There could not possibly be a better one. Right. And that's the cool thing about looking at this um, and, and thinking about it in the context. We are the the ki- cool kids here right now, but uh-huh. you know, two hundred thousand years from now, they'll be looking back at us, saying, "What in the world were they doing?" Yeah, we um, Neanderthals first met our uh, human ancestors in the Middle East about one hundred and thirty thousand years ago, uh, and perhaps uh, uh, perhaps after about a half million years mm-hmm. of separation. Right. Uh, when they split off from that common ancestor. Then they uh, contacted each other again in Eurasia roughly 45,000 years ago. And and this is where we, we end up, in, you know, and there are a lot of questions about what these contacts consisted of. Mm-hmm. Uh, for one thing, you know, those cave drawings that we've mentioned, you, you don't see any cave drawings of Neanderthals. So it's it's not like they were just running into each other at the supermarket all the time. Again, right. we're dealing with small populations of people, people that moved around uh, for the most part. So, yeah, they were nomadic, yeah. Yeah, nomadic people. So it's not, again, it's not like they would run into each other all the time. And even human populations are, are, were likely to be running into, you run into a group that speaks differently, that, that are, that are very alien from you. Right. That are maybe just as alien from you as these, uh, slightly heavyset guys who, uh, who look pretty intimidating and look like they could really take you down with a tackle if need be. Um, but we now know that, that we, uh, humans tangoed with Neanderthals and, and by tango yes. I mean, 
they had sex with each other. Yeah, at, at least some. It, it like it it apparently happened. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the genetic evidence is there. Did it happen all the time? Pro- no, no, it didn't. I mean, it's it's not the kind of thing that, no, that no. is happening all the time. No, and in fact, if that were the case, then um, we, we would have a lot more evidence in our own DNA, right? Right, right now, we've got traces of 2 to 4% of Neanderthals in the modern human genome mm-hmm. in populations outside of Africa, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there's some evidence there that, again, they tangoed. Um, and this we learned from the Max Planck Institute. Because they sequenced the uh, Neanderthal genome. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And they also found out that um, they were pale skinned and they had a range of colors. Including red hair. Yeah. 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 Um, and they shared the language gene with us. Yeah. Um, which is Fox P2, right? Yeah. That's, that's the one. There've, uh, in, in fact, there have been some, uh, some arguments they may have, uh, uh, they have, may have communicated musically. Do you remember this from, yeah. uh, from our research for the uh, the music uh, healing the mind, yeah, music can music rebuild your brain, yeah. yeah, and it was the bone flute, yeah, yeah, um, and that was something like I don't know, it was it fifty thousand years ago or fifty thousand mm-hmm. year old instrument yeah. that is clearly it's it's intentional and it's marking. Some people have said, oh, animals made the holes in the bone, but if you look at the pictures of it, like the the holes are pretty exact, yeah, um, so it's not too far off to think that they'd be able to to use it as a musical instrument. There are also you, you also see uh, different uh, examples of uh, of cannibalistic uh, or it, well okay there's some examples of cannibal, possible cannibalism right. among Neanderthals <laughs> and also uh, uh, some evidence uh, in with the bones to suggest that humans may have eaten Neanderthals mm-hmm. at different times and possibly made necklaces out of their children's teeth. Oops. Yeah, which is just going to happen. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I. I and, you know, to call back to another podcast, we have the whole cannibalism uh, podcast where we dealt primarily with cannibalism in, in nature. Right. So if you haven't listened to that one, if you were like my wife, you were scared off from it, thinking it was going to be about mainly about people eating other people. It's really mostly about uh, about animals eating their own type. Praying mantises offering themselves up in, in a love yeah, ritual yeah. to get their heads bitten off. Yeah, lots of sexual cannibalism and that kind of thing in that yeah. podcast. But w- one of the things we really drove uh, tried to drive, drive home in that was that cannibalism uh when you strip away all of the 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 modern human uh, taboos. taboos and all it it really makes a lot of sense so it's just the the idea that you would encounter and it that and, doesn't mean that we're suggesting you do it but no 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 in we're, the context of when it happened it made sense right cuz they're hearty protein sources yeah yeah and you know it's otherwise that that stuff's going to go to waste and you might starve to death so of course you eat it there are also some arguments out there that that, uh, that these early groups, including Neanderthals, also uh, partook of uh, of some scavenging. So it's yeah. also in a situation where there's some war dead, either on your you know, from your own tribe or mm-hmm. from this group that you just uh, had a a little um, miscommunication with. Again, why let that? Why let the vultures have that when that's uh, those are some some vital nutrients that could sustain you as you continue to to scour the landscape for uh, for what will hopefully be your next meal. Right, and. Talking about uh, miscommunication or, or communication makes me, again, think of the speech gene and the fact that because they had the large brains and they had that gene and because they also had a tiny bone in the throat called the hyoid, mm-hmm. um, it, it, which supports the soft tissue of the throat and it holds the root of the tongue in place, which is a requirement for speech, makes me think that, it, um, and, and many others, that they did have some sort of language. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we do know is that their larynx is much higher in their throat than humans, which would have limited some of their speech. But it's it's a it's good to note that because again, that 
that would have helped them to have survived to be able to communicate with one another. But in the long run, it, it may have actually um, contributed to their demise in terms yeah. of Homo sapiens. Well, and also we've seen plenty of evidence that just because, uh, I mean, even just among Homo sapiens, just because one group can talk to the other doesn't mean the other group isn't going to uh, attempt to wipe them out. Uh, you know, it's... Uh, <laughs> No, yeah, and that's, it was more in the, well, we'll talk about it later, but it was more in the context of, is it, uh, are you better suited to survive if you can communicate really well with each other? Mm-hmm. Um, but another thing about Neanderthals that uh, has been, that the veil has been lifted on is tool making. Yes. And, and some other school, uh, skills and things that they've done. Um, again, it was thought that humans had the upper hand with tools, but it turns out that Neanderthals were just as sophisticated with their tools. And in some cases, um, the shales or the, the blades were a lot more effective than the homo, sapien- homo sapiens. Um, so there you go. Mad skills. Yeah. These guys were hunters. Um, these guys made glue. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, which is pretty amazing. It's, yeah. Do you mind if I talk about yeah, it? Yeah, go for I'm it. I'm yeah. so amazed by this. Uh, it's, the glue is made from tightly rolled strips of birch bark and it's deposited into a hole in the ground. And then they cover that with earth and they seal out the oxygen. Mm-hmm. Then they take a smoldering stick, put that in there. And, uh, because the birch is deprived of oxygen, it sweats out pitch. And so when it cools, it can be used in tools to bond materials together. And the, the even, uh, cooler thing about it is that you can take that piece of cooled pitch and take it anywhere. Of course, they're pneumatic, right? So mm-hmm. they're going to, they're going to bring it with them, and then all you have to do is reheat it uh, to use it again. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because the I, I don't can't remember if this was a PBS special. I'll have to look at my research notes. But uh, the video clip that I saw of this, it was really difficult for them to do and to do right. So it took a lot of skill and it took a lot of trial and error. And even in this day and age, for you and I to try to do this, I'm sure there'd be a lot of expletives flying. You know, there'd be a steep learning curve. Yeah. So for them to be able to do this is is amazing. Yeah, I I can't can barely cook dinner for myself without um, resor- resorting to cursing. So I can't imagine yeah. making glue in my backyard. I know. I, know. I remember your risotto stirring yes. technique needed um, some observation by a second party. So yes, um, I cook best when I'm I'm helping and not taking the lead. You're more of a sous chef. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, there's no shame in that. Sous chef, that's an important role. Uh, but they also used pollen. Uh, a lot of uh, pollen was found in the caves. Mm-hmm. And that's used as an antiseptic and a salve. And speaking of uh, of pollen, it's, it's worth uh, pointing out that they were not uh, specifically uh, carnivorous. Yeah. Um, it, it seems like meat was a big part of their diet. They were... They were probably steak fans, uh, and, and would have, uh, been found frequenting, uh, Outback, uh, if they were around today. <laughs> but, uh, but they did eat vegetable matter. They yeah. did, when, they did, uh, you know, scavenge for seeds, uh, when, uh, when that, when, when it would be, when they were available. So. Yeah. And they, yeah, that's right. They found some plant, plant matter in the molars. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, here you have this idea of them as being these, you know, cavemen who were just, you know, Oh, and then, of course, they were taking down some large animals, but they weren't, you know, primarily carnivorous. Um, so this idea of them- they invented the blooming onion, actually, <laughs> they not, did. not many people really know that. But uh- <laughs> oh, yeah, they did. Um, you just threw me there. I'm like now I'm imagining them over the fire with their blooming onions. <laughs> um, I'm salivating a little bit. And that's just so wrong. Uh, but. The other thing is a lot of people thought of them as sort of like the dirty hippies, too, of hominids. Mm-hmm. Um, but in fact, the hygiene thing has been brought up before that their teeth has shown very little decay. Yeah. So they were taking care of their 
their teeth in some manner. Well, and it's it's also a lot easier to take care of your teeth if you don't have a huge uh, sugar um, diet. So, um, you know, these guys, you know, aside from some nuts and berries here and there, you know, they're probably not uh, uh, you know, sucking down as much sugar as uh, modern uh, humans do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're probably whittling their own little toothpicks, too. Yeah. Oh, wait, actually, we don't have any evidence of that, but I'd like to imagine <laughs> that. Um, so in, in, in thinking about, like, how... How a, um, a this human or human-like uh, population grew and expanded and eventually dwindled and uh, disappeared. You you really have to think of it in terms of geology, climate, and resources, mm-hmm. um, because we're, we're talking about long stretches of time here, hundreds of thousands of years, during which uh, the Earth's climate kind of whopped around back and forth, yeah. kind of like a, a ping pong ball, where you had you had periods of cooling, you had and then you had periods of heat. Right. You had some, uh, some glacial, uh, stuff mixed in there. And, uh, and, and when the weather changes, it changes the, uh, the, the geology. Right. And, when, and yeah. And when, and over long periods of time, of course, as geology changes, it changes the weather. So these are all things that are in flux and they force in the same way that, uh, that you see, uh, like populations of birds moving around, uh, um, you know, it's like, oh, you know, people, you know, and, and looking at say uh, you know global uh, global warming and climate mm-hmm. change, you, you know you see how populations of animals are 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 affected. And at this time, I mean, the, the humans were very much. Uh, I mean, humans are are susceptible to this even now. But at the time, it, you know, if, if animals had to move uh, to a different uh, geographical location, then then humans were forced into that area as well. Right. I mean, and just to put it into context, too, we. The global warming that we experience now is different from what they were experiencing in terms of extreme climate changes. So the Neanderthals, they survived the Ice Age. They did really well with that. They became very compact and muscular, right? Right. Um, But but then at some point, um, the the climates kept changing very quick. And within, you know, a span of a lifetime, a lot of their landscape could have changed uh, in fact, we know it changed. Yeah. So the forests that they relied on may have receded, and all of a sudden they have less area to hunt in. Yeah. And uh, it, yeah, to, this really boils down to, to two areas that really stuck out to me um, about how how this these changes in climate affected them. Um, all right. One key thing to look at is that Neanderthals, as far as we know, never took to farming. Never took up our agriculture, right. which of course is just was a was and continues to be a vital part of modern humanity. Yeah, and keep it's, in mind they're nomadic too. Right? Yeah, yeah, so. they're nomadic. Um, and again, and again, uh, agriculture is the thing that you know made us settle down, right? That, that, and then ultimately led to uh, to the to the construction of villages and cities that gave us the free time to specialize in different skills mm-hmm. uh, and allowed like you know one old dude to just sit around the village all day painting stuff. Um, Making those cool cave paintings. Yeah, yeah, or making, uh, you know, making little gold frogs or something. <laughs> uh, but uh, Neanderthals never took to the agricultural way of life. Uh, for the greater part of their Eurasian dominance, uh, the climate was harsher and more sporadic than it was today. So it just wasn't good a good time to get into farming. Right. Um, you know, even if even if they'd wanted to, they were smart enough to, they were skilled enough to. So it wasn't a situation where they would have been like, "What is carrot? How me plant?" You know, it, it wouldn't. Have, have been a situation like that, but the 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 time was not right for the uh, agricultural uh, leap. Right, and well, they, they were so tethered to their own physicality too. Right, right, yeah, yeah. And and when conditions improved, when it did get become farming right. time, um, there, there wasn't that much really pushing them to leave behind these hunting and gathering techniques that worked well for them. Right, because I was thinking about it that they they uh, put 
Scientists put that the extreme climate changes about 45,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. They became extinct about 30,000 years ago. Yeah. So for 15,000 years in, in crazy climates, they, they, uh, they still had a toehold in it, right? Yeah. They were still existing. But eventually, you're going to die off and, you know, you're not going to, you're going to lose that toehold. And, um, those great stocky limbs that you had, are going to be problematic because they require yeah. more calories to upkeep and there's less protein sources around, right? Less right. for us. And that body uh, style that they had, that, that meaty, tough, uh, you know, wrestler build, um, the main way that this suited them, uh, was in ambushing their prey. Yeah. They were used to dealing with, uh, with wooded or semi-wooded areas somewhere, you know, they can hide in cover, wait till that deer or that ibex, um, you know, or that, that blooming onion comes in close enough. <laughs> you know, wait in the wait, wait in the, the the cover, and then leap out and uh, and really throw down with that deer. So it was like a wrestler on the ropes, right? Yeah, yeah. To come down. Yeah, he's like he's on the ropes. Let's get him, and then they you know just beat the crap out of the the deer, or they or more like you know they do spears and and whatnot. Uh, but they've also uh, they've also found injuries in some of the Neanderthals that that they say resemble rodeo rider. Um, <laughs> That's right. Um, injury. So, so, which, you know, so just imagine it's like you have a, a pretty dangerous animal, prop, prop, perhaps with big horns, mm-hmm. uh, or antlers. And, uh, and these guys, and, and again, they probably wouldn't probably, they probably would not go after some of the larger, like megafauna. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they probably would not be hunting a rhinoceros or something like that, but something like a deer and ibex. So they, they hide. It comes into, into range. They jump out. They surround it and they just start attacking. Now, is there a it, clown yeah. in this scenario? I hope so. I hope that there was like a Neanderthal, Neanderthal early clowning. Clown, yeah. yeah, that's yeah. why they didn't paint rocks. They were, they their art was maybe <laughs> all about painting themselves. <laughs> they were performance so. artists. Um, but yeah, that's interesting that you bring up the injury too, because I remember reading uh, that those injuries were oftentimes sustained when they were much younger, and mm. so it's, for some of them, it could really limit their range of motion. And yeah. this is where uh, the community really comes into play, huh. because those yeah, the, yeah. the elderly and the infirm were obviously taken care of by the group. Which is another factor of this, of them, you know, being having, a lot more sophisticated. Yeah, having yeah. some sort of culture. So it's not just like, oh, that one's hurt. Uh, we're going to leave him behind. Yeah, we'll eat you later. Yeah. And you can easily imagine, too, like a system where it's like, all right, the young guys, you guys haven't had your legs broken yet. So you're the ones who leap onto the Ibex's back. Right. And, uh, uh, your father and grandpa are going to stand back with the spears. You know, it, it's, yeah. I'm, I'm just sort of imagining things, but, um, but, but it's easy to, to see how a system like this might work. Now, what happens, though, when climate uh, change causes your forests to shrink and, and ends up creating this uh, the steppe tundra environment yeah. where suddenly you have more and more just vast, empty stretches of, of you know, no cover mm-hmm. where you see you can see the herds of reindeer or, or, um, or, you know, ibex or whatever, but they're off in the distance. It's like, how are you going to how are you going to get that? Right. So you see, and there's a lot of competition for that, too, right. right? And you see the emergence of uh, persistence hunting, which um, there's a, there's an excellent sequence in uh, the BBC Discovery documentary, The Life of Mammals, okay. where they uh, they show because um, the final episode they you know they get up to the mammal, uh, humans, and they they uh, they deal with uh, sand people of the Kalahari Desert, the last uh, tribe supposedly uh, on Earth to use this ancient technique, and this is where uh, humans use running and tracking to pursue prey. Just to the point of exhaustion. See, as humans, we of course can sweat, um, and we, you know, it reduces our body heat. But if you're chasing some sort of quadruped, uh, this particular prey animal probably needs to slow down from a gallop to a mm-hmm. pant. So it's the, it's like the, um, I kind of think of it as the Terminator 
method of hunting, you know, where it's just like slow. It, you, you're never, you're not going to actually outrun the, the gazelle or whatever. Right. But you're going to, you're just not going to stop. You're just going to follow it. You're, it's not going to lose your trail and you're just going to keep on and keep on until it, it literally falls down. You see the, the videos of this. It's like the animal just eventually collapses and then the, uh, the humans just walk up and finish it off. So the Neanderthals were not, uh, were not built for this. Right. Like it, this, this skill becomes the survival technique. And they're, they're just physically generally not able to, to carry it out. There are also probably a lot of human, uh, populations that, uh, around this time that were equally unsuited for this new way of life. And they also went, uh, the way of, uh, of any other species. Right. It's not just the you Neanderthals know. we're talking about. Uh, right. We're talking about a, a lot of, you know, it's like, like any kind of like changes in an, ec- an economic, uh, situation, you know, like the, the economy changes. Oh, suddenly big bloated businesses can't survive. And, you know, maybe the little guys are going to do better. This is, I mean, this is the same thing with with the physicality. Right, right. I mean, there are other uh, Homo erectus types out there at the same time. We're just focusing, again, we're just focusing on Neanderthals, but there are other uh, species right. existing out there at this time period um, that that aren't making the cut either. Yeah, and, and also, it, and again, it comes down to resources, too. This it, It's not a situation where humans were like, all right, we're here now, let's kill all the Neanderthals. You're talking about generations and generations of, of the the landscape of uh, of human and humanoid populations changing, yeah. Where where the humans gradually outcompete the Neanderthals for resources. The mm-hmm. Neanderthals end up being isolated in smaller and smaller areas, uh, in in more isolated areas until they are eventually a um, to to um, to steal a phrase uh, from uh, from uh, a, a book we were just reading. Um, By Clive fin- Finlayson. Yeah, uh, they become the living dead, like a panda. Yeah, or uh, a tiger. <laughs> Though, in my opinion, far more interesting than a panda. But uh, you know, they, they reach the point <laughs> Not where cute and cuddly though. Yeah. Well, the, 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 you don't know. Neanderthals could have been could have been very cuddly. Actually, what I think is funny about this is early depictions of them made them look so caveman, <laughs> man apish. Yeah. And now that we've had this understanding of them, much fuller understanding, in the last five ten years. They look so much more human-like. Yeah, they have like our different wax depictions of them. Mm-hmm. They've gone from like you know from again like you know s- you know slope-faced uh, beast man to yeah. to looking like just somebody you'd encounter you know on the street. Yeah, now so. the depictions have like little bow ties on them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like fashion shoots and all. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Uh, you need to tell uh, W Magazine about that. <laughs> so why us? Why did why did we persist? Uh. It largely comes down to a situation of we were, it was just, we were in the right place at the right time, really. We were better suited to roll with some of the changes that were coming down the pike. Yeah. If the changes had been a little different or occurred at a different time, it could have gone the other way. And we could cover more territory, right? So yeah. we weren't as stocky or muscular. Yeah. We were, we were better suited to persistence hunting. We, uh, we took to agriculture. We, um, and we also, I mean, we, we also eventually just got a better foothold. Yeah. Uh, on, on our population, because again, you know, the, the Neanderthal population never got above like probably uh, you know fifteen thousand. Mm-hmm. So a smaller population is always going to be more susceptible to uh, extinction. Um, and once you reach a certain size, and and in our case, once you reach a certain sophistication, it, you're really not going to deal with that as much, unless of course you engineer your own extinction through uh, any number of ways that we're. <laughs> Actually, Louise uh, Leakey, the granddaughter of Mary Leakey, has an interesting TED Talk, and she talks about that. She says, hey, like, don't get too much on your high horse, Homo sapiens, because we've only got 200,000 years of skin in the game. Yeah. And, you know, look at our, how our population has gone nuts 
and the resources that are dwindling. So don't get too excited here about the old uh, continuation of, of our species. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there's a, again, it, it all, a lot of it comes down to geography, climate yeah. and resources. And if you look at uh, the, the state of, of human civilization, you can find some red flags really in all three of those areas. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, how are we going to roll with the changes? Yeah, I know. I mean, yes, we have a dropped larynx, and it mm-hmm. allows us to communicate in a more nuanced way, and we can teach each other in a more effective way than the Neanderthals. But yeah, what about uh, what about climate change? What about uh, smog? Yeah, or uh, blooming onions. And and of course, uh, you know, there's always a chance that we may, uh, uh, you know, eradicate ourselves with the with nuclear weapons. We I don't think that's entirely off the table yet. No. Um, as as much as we would like to hope so. so. But hey, there you go, Neanderthals. <laughs> yeah, Planet Neanderthal. Uh, so I hope I hope you uh, you know you might look at them a little differently the next time somebody mentions them, or the next time somebody slurs them. You know, stand up for your your uh, evolutionary uh, brother sibling and brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And check out uh, if you'd like the Max Planck Institute. Uh, they've got some really in- interesting information on the Neanderthal genome, mm-hmm. and they have a really great video called the Neanderthal in us. Yeah, kind of like Tobias Funke's The Man Inside Me. Right? That's right. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, hey, we got some uh, listener mail here, Ooh. which I think I'll fly through here uh, real quick. Our listener, Eric, writes in, and uh, he's uh, responding to our um, our podcast, uh, The Werewolf uh, Principle, uh, Engineering Humans for Outer Space, uh, which was one I really uh, enjoyed uh, doing. And he says, it was interesting to hear about modifications to the body that might be made to help people fly in space. But you made two mistakes. First, deaf people would, would be able to use the radio, something that's a little bit critical for, to space flight. And I believe here he's referring to uh, something we uh, corrected in a, 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 or, well, clarified in a right. previous uh, listener mail, and that is that there are various forms of deafness. Right. And only one really falls under the uh, under the model that was discussed in that podcast. Which is to say not all deaf people would yes. not suffer from from uh, yeah, from motion uh, weirdness Sickness, in, yeah. in space, uh, but uh, Eric goes on to uh, to add some some really uh, interesting stuff here. He says, "You also missed a rather obvious, at least to me, point. Every person who has flown in space has carried forty or fifty pounds of equipment with them that is not only completely useless in microgravity, but can even get in the way. Their legs, a human leg from hip to foot, including the foot, weighs about twenty to thirty pounds in a person in reasonable shape. As an amputee myself, I think amputees have been uh, overlooked as astronauts, though I am not." sure I'd be willing uh, to have what's left of my legs removed for a chance to fly in space. Uh, I'm an SBK amputee. Anyway, great program, uh, Eric. So uh, that was uh, that, that was uh, some really interesting insight. I yeah. really had not thought as much about that, about, you know, because you see shots of astronauts uh, floating around, and indeed, it's not like they're using their toes to manipulate things. Yeah, that's true. Uh, here's a uh, brief note from listener Chris. He says, in reference to your podcast, Underground Robotic Highway, you uh, stated that the driverless Google cars drove around San Francisco driverless. While technically that is true, there was a driver in the car to take control if needed. Love the podcast. Keep up the great work. Um, and, and indeed, just to, to clarify, there was a driver, and these things were not just rolling around unattended. There was, right. you know, you could think of it like a driver's ed class. Where there's a human there in case something goes crazy. Although I love the idea of, you know, these going around like Lombard Street. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like... It, Unattended. Like, uh, is it... I, I believe David Sedaris pointed out that... Um, uh, is it Michigan where uh, blind hunters can go out hunting alone? I don't know, but I'm going to say that sounds yeah. very Michigan <laughs> as a Michiganer myself. Yeah, so this is sort of like that. 
Um, I have another one here from uh, listener Jane. Jane says, I listened to your podcast about the Curies, uh, and this is about scientists and love, and wanted to say thanks for a great show. My husband and I met as undergraduates at a nuclear and radiochemistry summer school put on by the Department of Energy. I am now working to finish my Ph.D. in radiochemistry, and my husband is working as the reactor supervisor at our university's nuclear reactor. He has a master's degree in chemistry, and when I finish my time here, he will get his Ph.D. Considering how I met my husband, I have always loved the story of Marie and Pierre, uh, Pierre Curie. It was great to hear more uh, personal side to their amazing scientific contributions. I love y'all's show. So uh, there we go. There's uh, some nice uh, feedback from uh, some listeners. I know, and that just made me think I would love to see some MRI scans of scientists in love and oh. compare them to the general population. I think that that's that would study be interesting. Works. Yeah, yeah, that would that would actually be a great like a great art exhibit. I would I would go see that. Yeah. All right. Someone out there. There you go. So, hey, uh, if you want to come see what we're up to, what we're thinking about, what we're writing about, what we're podcasting about, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook as Blow the Mind. And you can also drop us a line at blowthemind at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. To learn more about the podcast, click on the podcast icon in the upper right corner of our homepage. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission parking and all-day drinks for one low price but you better hurry because this bundle won't last long save now at cedarpoint.com this is malcolm gladwell from revisionist history ebay motors is here for the ride with some elbow grease fresh installs and a whole lot of love you transformed a hundred thousand miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own brake kits led headlights whatever you need eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.